0: Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL, most valuable listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to love linked in the show notes.
1: Have a better, more level-headed relationship with How I see money, how I feel about raising money from other people, how do I feel about being fiduciaries for other people's capital? How do I feel about the uncertainty, which is just the nature of venture capital? And how do I feel about the fact that our performance and our results will only be truly tested and proven out at the seven to 10 year mark?
0: Three.
1: I am Mike Veldhuis, business owner of the Dutch IT company NALTA and podcaster from the Netherlands. I just love the Women in Tech podcast by the talented Esprit Devora. It's made with passion and creativity. It gives insight into the world of inspirational women from all around the globe. But most of all, it's fun to listen to. Esprit Devora truly is the girl who gets it done. LinkedIn presents...
0: Welcome back to the Women in Tech podcast, celebrating women in tech from around the world. My name is Angie Carrellon. I'm your guest host for this episode. And with me today, it's Pocket Sun. She's the managing partner of SoCal Ventures. So welcome, Pocket, to Women in Tech.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Angie. Um, It's always a pleasure to speak with you.
0: Yes. So I'm at Pocket over 10 years ago, and I'm so in awe of your personal mission of what you built with SoGal during all these years and the global community that you built also with SoGal, right? So I want to talk about many things. One, being an investor. Um, Two, you know, like your great eye and how you develop the selection process for the startups. And some challenges that you face and as well like the whole big magic that is Sogal, right? And what I mean about the magic is that this episode is actually happening because through Sogal, I met a spree who who usually ho- hosts the Women in Ted podcast. And it was through Sogal that we are here, sitting here talking and it's just amazing how the ripple effect of something that you created so many years ago, and I'm in mean, awe of all this. So, well, first, maybe you can introduce yourself. Tell us who you are, you know, and what led you to become interested in tech startups.
1: Hi, everyone. My name is Pocket Sun. I am the co-founder and managing partner at SoGal Ventures. We are an early-stage venture capital firm that's really trying to redefine the future of um, living, working and staying healthy and also redefining the next generation of diverse entrepreneurs and investors. I've been doing this since the end of 2014, and it's been many years of uh, hard work put into
0: this grand mission. Yes, amazing. So something that I wanted to talk to you, especially for our listeners that are are women in tech that are thinking about either starting a startup or starting a fund, I would like you to take us behind the scenes, right? Like how do you do the selection process for the startups? Because something that I'm particularly very interested in that is that in the fund, right? In the first fund that you had, you have two unicorns and one of them is a solo female founder. A lot of other type of VCs would have overlooked that as a potential investment, but you could see it from really early on. So I would like you to take us, you know, behind the scenes. What's how do you evaluate a potential team? Uh, what happens from the moment that you get the pitch deck?
1: Yeah. So to answer that, uh, I will take a step back. I realized that I didn't answer how I got into tech startups. Um, So it started when I was in LA. Uh, I was studying entrepreneurship and innovation for my master's degree. And from there, I developed this very strong interest in getting into um, the startup world. And very naturally, I learned about venture capital and realized that Only 2% of venture capital funding went to women entrepreneurs, which was just shocking to me. So, um, I first started SoGao as a community, which is still alive and well today. And uh, across, we have chapters and communities across six continents, uh, over, I think, 50 cities. Um, So, it's been a massive effort in the past few years. And in 2017, we launched our first venture capital fund uh, with a sole mission to create consistent outsized returns for LPs um, through investing in women and diverse entrepreneurs from their earliest stages. So that has been the journey I've been on. Um, So from 2015 to now, uh, my co-founder Elizabeth Galbut, and I have gone from you know zero investment experience to now having invested in over 150 companies around the world, and also some uh, small investments in funds that are led by diverse managers. Um, so we are always about really planting the seed, building the ecosystem opening the doors for, you know, people like us to um, walk through.
0: Maybe we can take a little bit more time into exploring this. Like, I remember you you explained this to me early on, on your path in Sogal, that for you was really important to disrupt the whole tech scene from top down, that the problem of why female founders were not getting funded was also because there were not enough female investors but there were also not enough female LPs, right? And you made it your mission to not only invest in, in female founders or diverse founders, but also to educate uh, women to become investors, like myself, right? Like I look up to you and in things that you know, I've never invested in a fund or I never invested in, in a startup, and it was through SoGal that I learned through that, right? So maybe you can take us a little bit more of your why there.
1: Yeah. So even though we're a venture capital firm, uh, we have our theory of change. uh, and We also have a nonprofit Sogal Foundation on the side that's really uh, working towards the same mission. So our overall theory of change is that we need to tackle this problem uh, from multiple levels. So Elizabeth and I started with You know, as a two-person team, uh, we were 24 and 26 years old when we started uh, this journey together, and we we have different experience from most you know existing VCs. Um, And at the time, it was very much Silicon Valley uh, centric, very much white male centric, and very much of this you know hustle at all cost type of culture centric, Um, and its growth over everything else Um, so i think elizabeth and i came from different backgrounds i really love cross-cultural um opportunities and opportunities that are you know beyond uh geographic borders and i'm very much into uh consumer markets i really love you know iconic brands uh, and i'm really into generational shifts in culture and power um Elizabeth is really good at healthcare. She's what I call the best hidden secret in US healthcare investing. She's also trained as a designer. She was also previously working as a strategist for healthcare's digital transformation. But despite all that, we kind of didn't check any boxes of, you know, what it's, what's required of being a VC. Um, so when we, as kind of this outsider team entering the VC world and starting our own firm, we are already redefining what the standards could be and who gets to be in VC, who gets to start a fund, who gets to make those investment decisions. Because before us, it was really 90% male VCs making all the decisions, um, as a result, their investments tend to be more homogeneous. Um, they have similar interests and they have similar criteria. They have similar deal flow. Um, so we realized that there were just so many more opportunities beyond that. So starting from us, uh, we are you know, investing into diverse founders and mostly uh, women because that's that was our bread and butter. That was how the SoGal brand was built in the first place. So we we invest um, capital into women and diverse entrepreneurs in the very early stage, and and these entrepreneurs are previously very overlooked. And you know they make great investment targets. And so far, we've been proven that to be true with our fund one's amazing performance. Um, and these diverse founders are also creating products and services for the overlooked demographics that these founders represent so many many of our companies like ceremonia which you're very familiar with and Indie wild which is a newer investment these are companies that are really designed for the multicultural diverse demographics that you know really didn't get much attention um, previously So this already creates a very powerful ecosystem. So we don't say that we're an impact fund, yet what we do is so deeply uh, impactful and meaningful. Um, Actually, five of our portfolio companies are already certified benefit corporations, meaning that they really put impact um, before everything else. And that's why they exist, which is something we're super proud of. And from our experience, that doesn't really compromise the performance. They can still be super high growth companies. Another layer, which I think is super important, is who gets to make money through this? Who gets to, you know, get rich through this?
0: And build generational wealth, right? Like that—that that is so important for women. Like where yeah. are the education yeah. aspects so, as well? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So in the VC world, I realized that most women never got offered an opportunity to become an LP in a fund and previously, you know, the opportunity to be an, to be an LP is very exclusive um, and you don't just come by it um, by accident. It's usually because you are already kind of established, you know, as a founder, as an investor, as, you know, an, a seasoned operator where, you know, you're very, um, you have close relationships with the Silicon Valley folks. Um, so it's very exclusive. And because of SEC rules and regulations, as a fund manager, we can't really, you know, solicit uh, investments from public. Uh, And it has to be accredited investors and qualified purchasers that get to participate in these funds. So we realize that who we raise money from is very, very important. Who we get, you know, who we create wealth with, um, that is a huge part of the equation. So starting from the beginning, we've paid so much attention to this and put a lot of intentional efforts around how do we get more money? Uh, how do we get more uh, women to become LPs? How do we get more people of color to become LPs? How do we get all these you know, uh, ethnic
0: minorities um, to become
1: LPs? Because previously, they were never invited to the party.
0: And to be clear, sometimes it's not that they don't have the wealth or the opportunity to do so—it's sometimes that they don't even know how to, or the financial investor, their their financial advisors—they um, see this venture capital as too high risk, right? And and for women, sometimes they they tend to be excluded from this opportunity, even from from the the, the experts that you know, might my, my help you manage your wealth or, or something. But it's so interesting. It's like, it's not that the opportunity is not there. It's like people don't know how to access these high-risk, high-reward opportunities, right? So for me, that's so, you know, that was something that they refined it as well, for me for particular.
1: Yeah, so there are a lot of amazing women who are very, you know, highly accomplish in their own fields, but because they don't have this a, like uh, adjacency um, or um, just insider relationships uh, with startups and venture capital, then they don't get offered. Um, they don't get asked to participate.
0: And this also might be similar to, you know, like the selection process of a startup, right? Like these this insider uh, warm intros, right? Like, and how the the process of a traditional VC firm works, right? Usually when someone is raising for their startup, um, the VCs would ask for a warm intro for them to, you know, like actually get into the back door so you can establish a relationship with the investor. I mean, how does work in Sogal? Do you usually do do warm intros? Have you also gotten you know random? pitch decks on your emails that has popped your your attention and that translated into a, a portfolio company? Or, or how does it work? How are you changing the game there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we've invested in companies that came cold. Just, you know, there is no prior relationships and they just approached us via cold email. Uh, that works. Um, we also get Instagram DMs. We get LinkedIn messages. We get uh, you know, on Chinese social media, um, where I have a presence, I always get hit, uh, in the private messages or even in the comments. Um, and I think that's great because as an entrepreneur, you have to always try your shot and, you know, we fundraise for our funds as well. And so I totally get it. I am on the same boat all the time. So, so yeah, uh, I think code outreach, um, traditionally didn't have a good chance um, of, you know, going through the funnel because venture capital is a very particular industry. We as VCs, if we are, you know, being the best fiduciaries that we could for our limited partners, meaning, you know, the investors in our funds, um, then we have to evaluate companies with a specific lens um, that we promised um, to the investors. So, a lot of the times I think warm intros work better because usually people who are making warm intros already have some context about startups, about venture capital, about, you know, what kind of targets are venture backable targets. And I think there is a big distinction between a venture backable business versus, you know, um, a, a lifestyle business, uh, which could make you good money, but won't make VC funds um, satisfied with the type of returns. So yeah, so that's one element. Um, and number two is, you know, once you've built a brand for your fund, right, like SoGao has a huge brand, uh, a way bigger brand than our fund size. So you can imagine that every day my inbox is bombarded with all these deals. Um, and Sometimes it's from you know uh, the Middle East, sometimes it's from the UK, sometimes it's from New Zealand uh, and because we have such a global presence um, but for us, you know our biggest responsibility is to create outsized returns for our investors. So we can't be you know held responsible for uh, for founders that we don't yet have a relationship with. So I think a big guilt that a lot of women investors feel is that we get so many deals sent to us all the time, but we really, really, really cannot, you know, uh, spend a lot of time on giving feedback or giving you a firm um, answer, but we are the type of investor that you know, if we reach out to have a first call, that means we already did some research on you. We already are interested in the space. We are already, um, we have already seen probably a few competitors and feel that your approach is, you know, uh, is interesting and uh, differentiated. And if that's not the case, we won't even take a first call. One thing worth noting is that we are uh, we were a two-person team until a month ago. <laughs> so we've been a two-person team on the investment side for the past seven years. So imagine from fundraising to sourcing deals to you know evaluating deals to dil- diligence and to going through all the legal stuff to closing the deal to s- supporting the companies. Plus, you know, managing investor relationships, managing audits, managing accounting, managing taxes, Uh, and, you know, everything and everything um, was done between Elizabeth and me. Um, So with that context, I think people will understand, you know, why we can't respond to every email uh, and why we can't give feedback to women entrepreneurs more often, even though we want to. Yeah. So that's a little bit of what goes on behind uh, and taking very few first calls is definitely a big part of, you know, how we could do this (laughs) with such a tiny, tiny team.
0: Wow. Like, I'm really impressed because I I really thought that, okay, yeah, it was you and Elizabeth, but I thought you guys had some sort of help, you know, like assistance or something. But yes, of course, it's just you two, because you kept it team small so you can keep, you know, your carry small as well and you can maximize the return for your investors, right? Like, yeah,
1: well, the truth is with a $15 million first fund, it's really hard to, you know, have the budget to hire someone else. I know some funds would actually sell a, por- a portion of their uh, GP shares. So a portion of their management companies, etc., in order to um, pay lower salaries or, you know, being able to build a team uh, with not a lot of cash. Um, but yeah, it's it's hard. Uh, a lot of venture firms that are small um, have similar problems. But we now have a first full-time employee on the Soya Ventures side, and we're so happy about it. Um, and over the years, because we were so small, we became so good at you know, hacking our way um, to have a bigger, have bigger support than our budget. So, we've had super supportive investors. We've had super supportive community chapter leads. You know, people like you who help us with specific projects or um, hosting events um, or sending us deals, etc. So, there there are ways to do it. It just takes you know way more hustle,
0: yeah, uh, and it's amazing because something that the portfolio companies uh, when they talk about is that you spend a lot of time also with them, right? So you you nurture them, you help them, and when some sometimes you know like the other uh, investors in their cap table trying to move them uh, in certain way that you should turn to sogal for advice or something. So I mean I, I'm I mean I understand that you know you have to really be intentional with who are the founders that you're going to go uh, further in in your selection process, right? And I would like you to take us also what's happening behind the scenes in pockets brain when for example you have different views, right? Like you get um, you get I don't know, like an introduction for a company from one year old piece, and then you have to evaluate, you know, like what's the potential for for this founder? Because what I've seen is that you invested in certain companies really early on that some other investors would pass, and they have turned out to be great examples of. Why you know investing in women and investing in diverse uh, founders actually does make the returns, right? So I would like you to take us a little bit further, you know, like after you know you you've taken the initial call, then what else is happening in your brain? Are you asking some other people like how do you gather the information for? making the decision?
1: Yeah, I think different funds do it differently. And we definitely have a very unique approach. Um, So a lot of our great companies um, are coming from our outbound effort. So we actually start with our own kind of vision and predictions into the future. And there are things we strongly believe in um, that would be the future, And I think the guiding principle for us at SoGal is what we call Gen Z values. So including, you know, uh, equity and justice, um, and diversity and inclusion, uh, sustainability, um, design driven, community powered businesses, companies that could transcend beyond national borders and become global companies. Um, and you know, how our identities will become more fluid and how Gen Z is the most diverse demographic in the U.S. history. Um, so all these things are driving forces that are going to shift how businesses behave, act and grow in the future. So we have this internal, you know, uh, criteria that Elizabeth, Tracy and I are very Aware of. So when we see a company, we kind of can immediately tell, you know, does this even fit within the future that we uh, are investing towards? Um, And sometimes we will see gaps uh, in this future vision. So when that happens, which is quite often, we will then develop sub-theses that we're super interested in, and we would scan the market for companies in that space, and we will proactively go after them. So there are many, many examples when we just discovered a company through an article or through Instagram or through Twitter and whatnot, and we would just cold reach out to the founders and ask for a meeting and ask, you know, are you raising? Uh, how's your? What's your status? And um, can we get to know you a bit better? So that has created a lot of success in our portfolio. And we have a very low to zero ego approach in this. Sometimes we chase companies for, after, uh, for over a year until they take our <laughs> money. Um, and that's totally worth it. But when we receive someone else's pitch in our inbox, um, huh, so a lot of the times it's not a good fit whether it's, you know, the geography is not a good fit, or the sec- the sector, the category is something that we are just not too hot on uh, right now. So for example, apparel, travel, uh, social network type of things um, are just not in our wheelhouse. And we've done a lot of really great beauty investments, for example, but we don't want to be seen as, you know, a consumer VC because we do other stuff really well as well. So we also, you know, uh, will avoid some of these categories to not be too concentrated in one sector. And yeah, and sometimes if we have a few deals on the table already, then we will really slow down on looking at new deals. So a lot of it is due to capacity. And a lot of it is due to, you know, our own, like, you know, very uh, unique and very, you know, Uh, already like very um, well-defined future blueprint. So that's how we can really quickly filter out pretty much 99% of the deals that come through. Uh, And if we are interested in a deal, um, and sometimes we don't act immediately, to be honest, uh, we would think about it. We will bring up this idea to, you know, uh, other people on the team or our LPs or people who have, you know, Uh, relevant experience and we will start to kind of just throw pasta on the wall and see you know what kind of feedback are we getting like is there kind of um, uh, I guess potential here and maybe after a while and it could be you know a few weeks um, or longer depending on the deal's timeline uh, too we will then engage um with a first call so uh so sometimes you know the first call comes way later than when you reach out to us um but that's because we have our own you know thinking uh and when the time is right when we think huh like now I think is a good time to to look into this space we will then kind of um go through our inbox and see who has pitched us similar ideas <laughs> and we will start picking and choosing and see who's the best one. And then we will, um, uh, we will reach out. And sometimes, you know, through one company. So for example, if it's a, say uh, a women's health company, right. And there are so many women's health companies out there. Uh, sometimes we just look at it, um, but no action is done at the moment, but then this could get us thinking We're like, huh, like this is an interesting idea. Not sure if this is the right team to do it or not sure if this is the right combination of skills or not sure if this is the right business model. So that will plant a seed and we will keep kind of monitoring the space. And, you know, usually um, in the next few months, you know, we will receive a few other deals that have very similar thesis or a similar solving a similar problem and then we might do a more comprehensive, you know, uh study or research and thinking around that particular space and um reach out to a few founders. So so yeah, so it's a very hard to put in tangible processes type of process. Um but that's worked out for us. I call it the I guess, getting things done in kind of a chaotic way and that's worked out for us. We constantly have, you know, a dozen of different tasks and projects in front of us Um, and everywhere from fund administration to fundraising to our own operations to new deals to new rounds of our existing portfolio companies to, you know, other projects that we're involved in. So, So, yeah, it's not necessarily linear Uh, and maybe bigger funds. They have very different processes. Maybe they just, you know, have very straightforward A, B, C and D. But so far, this process has worked for us. And as a small team, we're also very agile. So if we need to make a decision really quick, we are able to pull the trigger quickly. But a lot of the times um, we would like to spend more time to really get to know the founder, really get to know the company, really get to know the space. Um, to feel really comfortable and having high conviction in a company.
0: That sounds great. And imagine for the timing, it's so important. And that's something that you mentioned, right? Like the timing for the industry, the timing for, you know, like pitching the right idea at the right time and also the combination of the team and the startup founders. But, But it's great that, you know, like, uh, you take us a little bit behind the scenes because I don't think we shine we, we shine the light enough of the challenges that you also had uh, as a um, as a fund manager, right? Like uh, and how this venture um, also works as a startup, right? So maybe we can we talk a little bit more about the challenges and i think as a first time fund manager in your 20s when you started this you had a a, a lot of other issues at uh, but how can those challenges you know like and the limited capacity that you mentioned has ha- has helped you um and what have you you learned and maybe maybe you can take us a little bit of how these challenges that you had as a first-time fund manager and also with a smaller fund compared to uh, bigger funds uh, has made you now realize that for the second fund, uh, what do you want to envision for the future of Sogal for the next funds, right? Yeah,
1: so we are currently deploying out of our second fund, which is what we call the first flagship fund uh, and more of an institutional fund. Um, I think the biggest challenge was that we really don't have a playbook in front of us. Um, And we are absolutely starting a startup of its own league um, back in the days. So we take a lot of pride in the fact that we were pioneers. Uh, We were the first wave of game changers that were really paving the way for, you know, um, creating a path for self-made GPs, self-made VCs, which, um, was really not that prominent, um, before our days. So I'd say just, you know, creating your own step-by-step blueprint playbook, um, that takes a lot of deep thinking, courage, self-awareness, emotional intelligence, boldness, extreme hustle, (laughs) relationship building, and unique insights into the market. And I think these challenges will always, you know, um, be around us. It's just the, I guess, the specific challenges might Differ, um, you know, from stage one to stage two. Um, so, for example, in the first stage of you know thinking about starting a fund, we had a lot of self doubts about can we be a good manager of you know other people's capital? Like it just, you know, to think that someone is investing the amount of money that they could buy a four bedroom house with us, you know, that was nerve wracking for us back in <laughs> back in the days. Um, but you know that was something that we overcame. And through our performance, we became really confident in, yeah, like we can create amazing returns and do things that you and I will both feel super proud of. Um, and other challenges, I think people and relationships are always a challenge. So as a fund manager, when you go out and fundraise, for example, how do you have a level-headed money mindset that will make you unstoppable instead of, you know, getting, um, stuck every time you get a rejection, which was common and very, you know, universal for a lot of women who are raising money for the first time. So I had to do a lot of self-work to get out of that mentality. Um, and that kind of, what is it? Scarcity, uh, mindset, uh, and, really have a better more level-headed relationship with how i see money how i feel about raising money from other people how do i feel about being fiduciaries for other people's capital how do i feel about the uncertainty which is just the nature of venture capital and how do i feel about the fact that our performance and our results will only be truly tested and proven out at the 7 to 10 year mark um (laughs) which is you know so far ahead and even though we've had multiple unicorns at this point we've had amazing portfolio companies that have grown their valuations by you know uh, the highest grown uh, by 240 times right like which is amazing but you're always only as good as your last investment and you always have to Think about your new investments. Think about where you're going. Think about, are you still relevant? Are you still making the most interesting investments? Are you still um, occupying you know, a, a unique differentiated space? Um, so, so these things as an entrepreneur, as a VC, as a fund manager, these are things that I, we just have to constantly think about. And this will never go away.
0: What are some resources that you use for working on your money mindset? Like, I'm really interested to know more about this.
1: Yeah, I think this is a very, very common um, thing we will face um, as a woman, as a person of color, as an immigrant, as an LGBTQ person and whatnot. What helped me was coaching, coaching, healing, um, a lot of the more, I guess, the journey of discovering yourself, discovering what's stopping you discovering the root causes of what created these stories for you. Um, and this is a very uh, profound uh, journey that a person has to be on and it takes time. And sometimes you just have this uh, not awakening or this aha moment where you realize, Oh, This is where I get this from. And once you identify that, then you have an opening and a window for you to, you know, to change, to change that, to change that perception, to rewrite that story, um, to not let it limit your future uh, outcome. So I went through that um, and it was definitely a process. Uh, I tried different methods, tried different coaches And yeah, so I think I got way better um, compared to a few years ago. And we had a lot of hardships with the first time uh, fundraising. It took us a long time. And um, there were definitely times when we got rejected so many times and we were like, oh my God, can we ever like reach the goal? Um, But eventually we did. It took longer than expected. But every piece of that journey all the lessons learned are so valuable and another way that we dealt with it was through overexposure to you know risks and just tough decisions so for example when we started um, the journey we were like okay we're gonna be venture capitalists we're gonna start a fund together but we had not invested in any startups in the past so that obviously is super risky (laughs) And when we were not sure how we could convince ourselves to become investors, we decided to overcompensate by investing, investing, and investing. So we started with a thousand dollars and we just you know, uh, kept doing more and more tiny investments to really gain that experience, start interacting with different founders, be in the inside of how companies, you know, rise and fall. And what are the different paths? What are the different scenarios? What are the complexities that we might face? So by the time we launched fund one of Sogal, we had already invested in 27 companies. So that was what made us feel, okay, like we've seen a lot. (laughs) And we, we could do this. And we could see that, you know, we love investing and, and entrepreneurs really love working with us. And here are the ways we could add value. And here are a few ways we could improve ourselves. And here is how we can, you know, pay even more attention to these details. And this is how legal documents uh, could go wrong. So, you know, it's about just exposing yourself to what you don't know yet, and um, what you want to learn about and just, Really immerse in it, so so yeah. So, we did 150 investments in the past seven years through the SoGal funds, through our angel investing, through Elizabeth's other fund, which is um, all about Johns Hopkins University. And she's done some amazing healthcare investments through there uh, and has an amazing track record there as well. So Uh, all of this contribute to the confidence we have today and the amazing track record we have today. And it's all from, you know, hard lessons. It's all from uh, kind of trial and errors. It's all from being in the trenches with the entrepreneurs. So now we feel that we are in the next stage and we get to play bolder moves. We get to play a more dominant, not more, not dominant, more prominent role in the precedency stage. So with fund two, we're planning to write much bigger checks. We are, well, we are already writing much bigger checks. We are already leading companies. We are already taking board seats. This means a new kind of relationship with entrepreneurs uh, and new liabilities and responsibilities you take on as board members. Um, And also the additional you know, uh, um, mentality uh, of being a lead investor. Um, All these things are evolving. Um, And in the past few years, when we had our unicorns, when we had secondary opportunities to sell some of our shares, uh, or when some companies got acquired, these are also very valuable learning opportunities when we, you know, make tough decisions uh, for the first time. Like, should we sell how much should we sell? How should we make those decisions? And how do we really safeguard our LPs' capital and create risk-adjusted returns, but at the same time become the highest-flying, uh, you know, asset in their portfolio? Um, so all of these things, like, they will come at you, and you know, you just figure it out. You just learn. You talk to people that have done this before. You take a comprehensive look at different perspectives and make decisions that feel the most authentic and true to who you are and who you represent and what culture you want to build and what changes you want to make. So so it's always about learning and creating and uh, evolving.
0: Oh my God, I, I love that. And I've seen your uh, learnings from all these years that, that we know each other and And I'm so like in love with what Sogal does, you know, like and how also it's reflecting the future that you want to build, right? So I, I really like this question, you know, like in other podcasts, I usually hear this question about what will you tell your past self? But more than than talking about the past, I would like for us to focus on the future. What will you tell your future self? Right? Like, is there, you know, like something that right now you would want to you know tell your future self
1: Hmm. so now through all my you know self-work and all the you know coaching therapy kind of work I realized that at any given time we are a combination of our past selves and future selves and they all kind of exist at the same time <laughs>
0: Oh my God, we can talk about quantum physics and that how can that makes sense. But <laughs> that would be another <laughs> whole episode on its own. <laughs> but that was profound. Yeah. Was- yeah. <laughs>
1: mm. oh, what would I say to my future self? I don't know. I guess, you know, that i I'm just trying my best every day to become wiser and... know the the future self that I wish to be and you know I am working really hard but at the same time really learning more and more about myself each day And, and I think in the most recent two years I think learning about myself and learning about what matters to me and how I want to work and what is what is it that I want to create to, to become even more, um, zooming in into what matters. Um, and I think that is the work that I'm really, really proud of. And that becomes the guiding light for my investing, my work life, for my love life, for my, my friendships and, you know what I do with my time so so yeah so I think I want to say to my future self that I'm ready I'm there
0: <laughs> see you on the other side <laughs> what matters I mean what is the vision of the future that is guiding through that is guiding pocket there right like what is what is that vision how you envision Sogal you know in 10 years like you know because being in venture is thinking always 10 years ahead right like because your fund is is usually gonna set the returns in in 10 years right like so or or you know like more or less yeah well elizabeth and i feel that we could do this for a lifetime
1: because the problem we're trying to solve is so deep and so systematic that we don't think by the time we die we will be able to you know really see the problem completely solved because
0: it's thousands of years in the making, right? So I think that's a guiding light. And I think the World Bank said, like, it, th- it takes over like 100 years to reach just gender equality. Like, just oh, we're talking yeah. about just gender, I mean,
1: right, like a- over 100 years. Yeah, 100 years. That's That's optimistic because I see this not being a linear path. Like, we, you know, we we improve a little bit and then we fall back. It's one step forward, two steps back. It's, it's kind of, you know, frustrating. Uh, And I'm definitely angry uh, sometimes at these things, but I think for me, because I want to do this forever, I think I'm more patient about how it goes. And we have big, big ambitions. And even from the early days, we always had this 20, 50 years, um, goal, like we think Sogao, like for example, I don't know, you know, when we will get there, but I think we will get there. We will have investors that could fill an entire stadium similar to like Berkshire Hathaway. Like that's how much of an impact we want to have. That's how many people we want to influence to be able to get into venture capital, to be able to support diverse led entrepreneurs, because I think venture capital and startups are really a key lever for us to change the future. Um, so I think that decision has to be more democratized, that you know, power has to be shared with the rest of us. So that's the movement I am dedicating my life to. And I think my calling and what I'm meant to do uh, in this lifetime is really to be the pioneers and to to be able to help people see and recognize, women's profound contributions in all aspects on education on healthcare, on um you know um well being on um uh just contributions to society that are not seen and recognized before i think this next 50 years is you know when these things will become more front and center and become even more impactful and changing dynamics of society around the world. So, yeah, so that's my um, big ambition. Uh, and I think SoGal has this opportunity to really go into so many industries, um, so many types of investing and touch so many people's hearts and lives Um, through creating generational wealth in this revolutionary way.
0: Oh my God, I'm so inspired by you. I'm like, every time that we talk, I'm like, I'm so happy to be a little part of this movement that you're creating. And I'm so, so, so glad to be part of this. So we're going to move to the fire, quick fire questions, right? Like, um, so we can wrap up so tell me you know a little bit of one woman in tech that inspire you, and then we go to the other favorite or most latest things that you are trying into tech.
1: I think Melanie Perkins of canva um I think what she's been able to do is really amazing. Uh, when I started Sogal, I built the first sogal logo, uh, business cards, event posters um And Facebook cover image, everything on Canva. So I have a lot of gratitude for this platform. We still use it all the time. And it's just so wonderful to see, you know, how big of a business she could build that is really benefiting so many people. Um, And she has really um, created wings for, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs and people in business. Uh, who didn't have that superpower before
0: okay so i'm not gonna put it so hard for the the other ones i'm just gonna ask you instead of the favorite i'm gonna ask you the latest so latest book that you've read
1: uh latest book i'm reading a book called caliban and the witch um it's a marxist feminist uh book um and it's so well written and it's not an easy book to read. Uh, it's very deep. It requires a lot of, you know, stopping and thinking. Uh, and I've been reading this book for a while now, but it just never ceases to inspire me every time I read it. Um, and it just gives you such a different lens to look at the origin of capitalism, um, the um, the opposite of uh, two people's thinking. Like it's, it was not inevitable that it will come. Like there are so many coincidences and accidents that led us to the way we're living today. And I, one problem I find with a lot of people is we have lost imagination for what the world could be if we're not living in a capitalist society. And it's weird for me to say, because my job title is a venture capitalist, but I really think this system, so many things are not working in this system. And I know as women, as people of color, as Uh, you know, LGBTQ people, immigrants or people with disabilities or indigenous people or, you know, Latinx people. Like we, there are just so many things.
0: Yeah, the system wasn't created for us, right? And something that you told me is that it's the time for the rise of the rest of us.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: so that's what I want to create. And
1: in order to create that, I have to know how, these harms were done in the first place. So, in my spare time, I pay so much attention to <laughs> uh, to politics, to social science, to psychology, to um, anthropology, even. So I want to just you know learn a lot in in those um, arenas um, to really help me make the most impact with investing. Awesome. So latest podcast that you've listened to. It's actually a Chinese podcast about the new <laughs> the new uh, uh, shifts and change-ups in the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, and it's definitely an issue close to my heart. Um, and it's, it's creating shifts for our portfolio founders, too. Um, now that they feel that uh, China's political situation has changed, that changes how they view supply chain. That's they, that changes how they view the chinese market and whether to keep sourcing from china etc so this is also part of i guess both my in personal interest that's very close to home
0: uh, and also business interest so yeah okay latest resource in tech i don't know that you've used an app or like something in your phone
1: There is this new app um, that I downloaded, but I haven't tried. It's called uh, Clay, which is um, an app that helps you manage your professional network. Um, I discovered it from a conference. Um, But yeah, I haven't tried it, but supposedly it's a very well-funded company. Um, So yeah, looking to, to try it out.
0: Yeah, maybe we can try it. Awesome. Awesome, Pocket. This has been amazing. How can we stay in touch, you know, as a founder or investor that are listening to Women in Tech? And what can the Women in Tech community can do to help you?
1: Yeah, so personally, I am the most active on Instagram and LinkedIn. If you feel that you resonate with what I said, you can reach out to me. Uh, on Instagram, uh, my handle is pockety sun, or on LinkedIn, which is just pocket sun. Um, and how the community can help? Um, we have this amazing angel investing community called Fempire by SoGal, and we teach women about investing. We provide co-investment opportunities throughout the year. So that's really something. Uh, fantastic, um, if you want to get involved with angel investing. So for that, you can go to
0: vampire.iamsogal.com. Amazing. I'm also part of Vampire, and I can totally vouch for that. So yeah, you can go to vampire.sogal.com. Oh my God, thank you so much for hanging out with Women in Tech podcast. To connect and collaborate with more incredible women in tech around the world, remember to go to womenintechbip.com. That's womenintechbip.com. And say hello on social at Women in Tech Show on Twitter, on Instagram, and on Facebook. I'll see you on the next episode.
1: Bye. Hi, this is Pocket Sun, co-founder and managing partner at Sogal Ventures a next-generation VC firm investing in early-stage women and diverse entrepreneurs. I am based in Vancouver, Canada, and you're listening to Women in Tech.